morning, Antioch. It's a good day. I like somebody's loud back there. I like that. We, uh, Don and I, are really, really um, always excited to be at Ben. Um, our kids have fallen in love with Ben, so even when I come here sometimes without them, they have a little attitude, like, what do you mean you're going to Ben without us, you know? Uh, and uh, so, um, uh, and uh, it has been, been a real pleasure to get to know you and to get to know um, this church. It is one of our, our favorite places, places to come. Uh, while we're really good friends uh, with Tamara uh, and Ken and their, and their family, uh, Ken and I have a little bit different styles. He's pretty smooth, pretty calm, pretty collected, you know. He delivers these powerful sermons in this, like, really nice tone. I don't have that gift. I deliver sermons in a pretty loud tone. So uh, it may get a little bit loud. Don't be offended. Just, uh, just go with it. Throw back an amen. That'll, that'll really help, help out a lot. This morning, we are going to, uh, we're going to take a look uh, at 1 Peter. For the last six months, uh, we've been looking at 1 Peter and uh, teaching from 1 Peter, and we ended, and I thought, man, I'm not going to touch 1 Peter again, but, um, but here we are because I think uh, this scripture fits kind of the weekend, the, the uh, 4th of July and, uh, and all that comes with that. Uh, I want to dive a little bit into to this scripture. So uh, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, Verses 11 through 25, I will read. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though though, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him uh, to punish those who do wrong and to command those who do right and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong to endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. 
for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. May God bless his, the reading of his word. So this is a bit of a hard scripture for me. I will admit that up front, uh, that uh, scriptures that talk about slaves obeying your masters and women obeying your husbands and things like that, like Peter gets into all that. And, uh, and so it's not, it's not a popular one for me, me to preach. In fact, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty hard one to, to wrap my head around sometimes. And, uh, uh, and, 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 I, and sometimes you, when, when a scripture is hard, right, you, uh, you, 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 you check the context, right? Right, anybody ever do that? Oh, man, that's too hard. Like, what's the particular situation here, right? So that, so that you can weave your way out of, like, what that really is saying. And I check the context here because slaves obeying your masters, I got to weave my way out of that one. And the context, it, it, it didn't let me out. They weren't talking about indentured servants. They were talking about sure enough slaves, people who were owned by other people. And Peter speaks to this. The context uh, of, the book, of, of what Peter, where Peter is writing is uh, the church now is being scattered, right? They're being scattered abroad and they are, they're meeting in caves and homes and cemeteries wherever they can because of all of the persecution that's coming their way, right? And Peter is writing to them because of this. Uh, some going through it already and others, it's about to come and Peter's trying to get them ready. Hey, the persecution is here. It's at a doorstep or it's like, or you're living it presently. And I want to talk to this because this is going to be the life of the church moving forward. We are going to be a persecuted folks. Now, uh, 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 I think this is a quite powerful text as when you really start to look at the context. Right. When you really start to look at like, wait a minute. What is this text all about? And if you don't know or haven't believed that, that a lot of this scripture, the majority of this scripture is written, our scriptures is written to the oppressed, uh, uh, read Peter, uh, and, and, and I don't think you'll walk away uh, uh, with the idea that it isn't. In fact, it is profoundly so in this text. This text, uh, to me, is quite magical, right? It's, it's empowering because it's, 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 like, it's like a great, like a text is going to be written this afternoon. We're going to sit down and we're going to write a letter to the American church and it's going to be powerful because we're going to have the best theologians, we're going to have the best Bible scholars, and they're going to write that text to, to, to America, but they're going to write it specifically to everyone who's oppressed. They're going to write it to the homeless folks. They're going to write it to women living in shelters. They're going to write it to those who are struggling to get jobs. And they're going to write the letter directly to them, and then the rest of us get to listen in. That is the magical part of this text. 
Right. That 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 this idea that Peter is writing to somebody who's owned by another person, he directly writes to slaves. What is that like? Like, who does that? If you know anything about book deals, you got to you got to write to people that are going to buy the books. Right. That would even be crazy today. Hey, write a book to the people that can't buy them. That's the powerful piece of this scripture and what Peter writes. He addresses those who are living underneath of it. And 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 it shows God's intention to overthrow the powers that be of the world of that time. Not not about people. Right. We get into this thing where where we're going to overthrow this person. And, and this is not about people. This is about God establishing his authority. In fact, when you concentrate on people, you don't you don't really get it. Right. This is a spiritual undertaking. And if you don't, uh, if you don't understand that, like you lose your spiritual grip in the world. If you if you start fighting against people and not understanding the spiritual warfare that is at hand, then you lose your grip on what what our role really is in the world. You start to concentrate on on the crowd noise. Anybody here ever play ball, baseball in particular? Right. You got to concentrate so hard on the game. Right. That that like you can't look away. You can't you can't take a split second to think about something else, because even if the ball is not hit to you, you have something to do on the field. Right. This is the same idea. Like like concentrating on people like is like concentrating on the crowd. And when it's where where you're supposed to be at in any given play, you lose you lose it. You're not in position. This is what Peter is trying to do here. He's trying to get folks into position to watch God overthrow the kingdoms of this world. See, uh, 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 the crowd uh, represents the natural, right? uh, For us, the natural way of things, right? The government itself, right? If, If we concentrate on the natural, we concentrate on the government and what it's doing and how it's going about and what's happening. And not that we shouldn't keep up on those things, but those things, we, you and I were called to live life differently than that. The government is the crowd noise in our case. And we, when we concentrate on the crowd noise, we aren't where we're supposed to be. Peter writes to foreigners, he says, to foreigners and exiles. Right? Makes it completely clear to them that this is not are their place. The systems of this world are not how we operate. Like, we can live a good life here. We, we, we can submit to the emperor. We can uh, pay our taxes, whether we want to or not. 
But that doesn't mean that the world powers are the things that you and I follow with all who all of who we are. That we give our complete allegiance to that. No, we 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 honor the king. We follow the laws, we pay our taxes. But there comes a dividing line. And Jesus makes this clear when he talks to Pilate, right, before he is to go to the cross, right? Jesus is bearing up, bearing up, bearing up all of these things, right? Bearing up all this stuff, getting beat, getting, you know, crown of thorn on his head. He's carrying crosses through the streets, right? All this is going on, and he's bearing up. He's not saying anything. But then when Pilate said, hey, don't you know I had the power? Then Jesus, in a, in a little quick instant, he snaps up. Right. He goes. No, 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 no. It's like commercial break in the cross. Right. Right. All this stuff's going on. Pilate says something and he goes, no, hold on. You have no power except that which I give you. Right. And then it goes back to dying. Right. 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 Like, 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 yes, yes, we will honor you. We'll honor you, Pilate, for your for who you are. But you have no power. Except that which I give you. He says, no one takes my life. Right. And he commences to laying it down. In fact, Jesus gets upset and he turns over he turns over tables in the temple at times. Right. So this idea is not for us to just walk blindly into things. Dr. King said this. The church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide of the critic and the critic of the state and never its tool. The church does not, uh, the church does not recapture, its, if the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. That's 40 years ago. And it seemed quite prophetic that many of us know and treat this like a social club and we've lost our prophetic zeal this weekend some of us will fly the American flag higher than anything else in our lives We are not a voice to the state, a critic to the state any longer. We just uh, 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 eat up all of the spoils of being American in the world today. See, we've seen this play out when the church loses that. The Dutch Reformed Church gives permission for apartheid, right? The Pope gives permission, establishes a doctrine of discovery that, that then creates all of these negative places around the world where slavery is going on. The church in America defends slavery with the very scriptures that were supposed to free people. That's the church losing its prophetic zeal. That's the church social club protecting its spoils and its comfort and going along 
with all that the state says. Peter says this, live as free people. Don't use your freedom to sin, right? And what is sin in this respect? Don't, what, what is sin in this respect of us? Like, don't use your freedom to sin. You and I are free in this country. What is our great sin? Concentrating on ourselves. It's all about me. What am I going to get? How's my family going to be comfortable? What's my paycheck going to look like? Is it cool enough in here? Is it warm enough in here? How are those cushions on that seat? That becomes our sin of freedom. That we, we, we drive it right into ourselves. And it's about us most days. This scripture that Peter, Peter says, slaves submit to your masters. It's a hard one. And that scripture has been used over time to justify owning other people. And I submit to you that that scripture was not permission for people to be captured and put on ships, chained in halls of ships. That scripture was not permission for 30 million dead bodies to be thrown into the Atlantic Ocean. That scripture was not permission to line people up on auction blocks to be sold. That was not permission to sell a woman's kids away from her. It was not permission for women to be raped and impregnated only to make more slaves. It was not permission to hang people. It was not permission to work people without pay or low wages. It was not permission to keep people from good schools. It was not permission to limit where certain people can live. It was not permission to kill millions of Native American people. It was not permission to put Japanese folks in internment camps. It was not permission to beat and hurt people because of their sexual orientation. It was not permission to take land. It was not permission to have different rules for immigrants from Mexico as opposed to those from Canada or Europe. It was not permission to sell women into trafficking. It was not permission to gentrify our communities and our neighborhoods. The power of this scripture was written directly to those who found themselves in those situations. And if you find yourself in this situation, Peter is giving a way to bring the community together to overthrow. Slaves, this is not to accept slavery. This is not to accept apartheid. This is a way 
to fight because we know we know that 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 the scriptures declare right that that God in the, in the book of Exodus right says I hear I hear the pain of my people I know they're in slavery and I want them free right so we know the heart of God when it comes to this that it is it is not the will of God that people should pay for the rest of their lives for a mistake they made when they were teenagers. He says, like, the prisoners will be even released as this gospel takes hold. The purpose was to place, to place the spirit of God into these demonic spaces around them. And when they place the work and the spirit of God into those places, those places fall over time. Slavery is a principality, my friends. Apartheid was a power of the devil. Mass incarceration is from the pit. And God says to folks in these, he says, hey, vengeance, vengeance is mine. And I got you, right? Later on in Peter, he says, cast all of your care on me, right? Because I got you, right? He's writing directly to the people in these situations. And he's telling them what true freedom looks like. These are people without bank accounts. These are people who have their papers to go wherever they want to go. These are people who couldn't order their own days, who couldn't have their own comforts, who couldn't even raise their own children. And Peter says, you're free. And if you connect to this God in this way, you will see your freedom emerge. See, because the Declaration of Independence didn't set me free. Jesus set me free. The word of the Lord set me free. That's why I believe in nonviolent resistance, because I see, I see it in Scripture. Dr. King says this, nonviolence means not only, not avoiding, nonviolence means avoiding not only external physical violence, but also internal violence of the spirit. You not only refuse to shoot the person, but you refuse to hate them. This planned struggle. See, Rosa Parks, that was, see, Rosa Parks was trained. That wasn't by accident. She was tired of what was happening. And so her and her folks decided, hey, you're going to sit down on the bus today and we're going to invoke God into this thing. And the United States government will follow suit. And it took time. We need to train ourselves 
to invite God into the space by accepting the struggle. See, what living in this country has taught us, it's taught us to move away from struggle, right? This group of people here, and it seems dangerous, you get away. You run as fast as you can. You move. And we are doing that. We are, we are moving. We are escaping. We are getting away. We are making ourselves comfortable. Can we throw up uh, this picture of Bishop Tutu? I just threw that one up because that's just fun because I got a selfie with Bishop Tutu. I mean, it's just <laughs> awesome, right, you know. They said no selfies, but I had my camera ready, right? So that's an illegal picture, but uh, I, I, uh, I love it. I keep, I keep flashing it over time. I mean... How many people can say they leaned on Bishop Tutu's shoulder? You know? Anyway, anyway. let's move to more important things about the sermon that we're preaching here. Oh, that's me at breakfast with Bishop Tutu? That's all. But it was at that, go, go, stay on that one for one minute. It was at that breakfast when we had a chance really to talk to Bishop Tutu and we talked about the time in apartheid, during apartheid, and he told us two stories. The first one was, he told us the story of standing in front of a firing squad. And some of you may have read this story, that him uh, and uh, a Bishop Story were, were caught one night and they're standing in front of a firing squad. Folks had their guns pointed at them and uh, uh, Bishop Story's there and Bishop Tutu and maybe a couple others and they're about to be executed and Bishop Tutu goes, hey, uh, uh, you don't want to do this because we're going to win, Right? Right? Like, like gun pointed at his face. So he tells us that story. And then he tells us this story. He says, hey, you, uh, you, you, don't, you, you may not, you're, young, you're too young for this, but when I was a young boy in my teenage years, I read an Ebony Magazine story about Jackie Robinson. And a story about Jackie Robinson inspired me to let me know, like, I could do something great, right? I could move beyond my circumstances. Now, here is, here is Bishop Tutu telling me about Jackie Robinson. And he says that story was important because as we were going through these struggles in apartheid, and he talked about when, when Nelson Mandela went into, uh, into jail. He says, jail, jail worked out for Nelson. He says, because, because when he went in, he was full of hate. He says his favorite line was, the best white person is a dead white person. He said, that was a quote of Nelson Mandela when he went into prison. Show the next one. This is, a, this is a picture of that prison. And this was a rock quarry where they worked and they, uh, they broke rocks all day long in the, in that, in the sweltering heat uh, of uh, Robin Island. And he says they would spend all day in this place, right? Show the next one. 
see that hole right there? That hole right there um, is a small cave. And he said that was the only place they could go to get out of the sun for a little bit and to use the bathroom. That was it, right? Uh, all these prisoners, that was where they would go. And then he said, you know what? You know what Nelson did? He started, because the guards wouldn't come in there, so he started teaching classes in that cave. Some men earned their PhDs in that cave. People who went on to run the country, who came into prison not being able to read, left with PhDs, and that was their classroom. This idea that we push in the struggle, that we, we find space within the struggle for God to come in instead of running from it, embrace it. This is how we invite God in. Go to the next one. You see, this nonviolent resistance that's in our time, right? As people like stood before hoses put on them. Go to the next one. This is one of my favorite pictures. Because when you look at this picture at first glance, right? You feel sorry for that guy that's getting bitten. But in actuality, the guy who's standing there and not resisting, not coming back at the officer, is the teacher in this moment. He is inviting all of those officers around to join in. He is saying to the, everyone around and to us today, this is how we invite God into our struggle. And when God comes into this struggle, he will bring true freedom. See, don't look at this thinking that guy's a victim. He is the teacher. And if that officer got that lesson, his life would have been changed that day. Redemptive suffering. In the midst of a suffering church, in the midst of circumstances that we don't always call on ourselves, instead of running, what does it mean to walk into it and embrace it and be a part of a community that embraces it and watch God do what he does? This is how the church becomes the conscience of the state.
this is how we teach. This is how we show that the one we follow has us all in his hands. This is how we show that he loves us and cares for us. Because out of this comes life. The spoils of the system keep us from being prophetic. Spoils of the system helps us lose our edge in the world. Paul said it like this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and give myself for others wherever I can, however I can. This, 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 uh, this redemptive confrontation of the world, this loving in the midst of, of struggle comes down to obedience. Are we going to lose our lives for Christ? Are we going to submit to his way? Peter, in his writing, as he writes to women, as he writes to slaves, as he writes to those who are dying and losing their families, all other privileged folks around get to look in and find their ways to life. Whether you're a person like living in struggle today or whether you're a privileged person, like this is the prescription for us to find our way to life, to the center of God to the center of his will. Let's pray. Jesus, may we have your power, your power that gives us strength to go through the suffering well, to walk into it, to acknowledge it in our lives. To take a look at it where it's happening and learn from those who teach us in the midst of their struggles. And may your kingdom come. It is in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.